This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. We're live here at the Rapid City Diocese Chancery in beautiful Rapid City in the Black Hills. I am Karen Gibis. I am along with my co-host, Becky Barrett. Becky, yes. thank you so much for being here. All right. We are on our last segment for the whole day. We Hasn't are. this day gone just fast? It has. It's gone really quickly. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Great. It's amazing that the Real Presence Live is the longest and shortest two hours of my week. I, I believe that, yeah. Because <laughs> you learn so much. It's like, ah, but then it's so short. short because you're like, but I wanted to hear more. Keep talking. Give me more. <laughs> uh, well, we have our final guest for today, Bishop Peter Muich. Thank you for joining us today, Bishop. You're most welcome. You had great to make to s- such a long trip to get here. <laughs> yes, I'm about 40 feet from my office. Which is um, really convenient. (laughs) There would have been no excuse for you to be late, Bishop. No, none whatsoever. Uh, Well, how are you doing today on this first Friday in November? Great, great. I'm I'm feeling well, and my people are doing well, I think. And um, it's a beautiful month of all souls. So we remember our beloved deceased, and um, it's. I've always found November to be a special time in that way. You know, it's a very important part of our Catholic life to to be able to have this communion, you know, this mm-hmm. relationship across the divide of death because of what Christ has done for us. So we can pray for them. And of course, once they get installed in heaven, um, and we're going to talk about two um, men who um, were remarkable for their holiness, at least to their peers, and are on their way to heaven, we pray quickly. Um, this whole idea of asking their prayers for us as we continue our pilgrimage is a beautiful idea. And it lets people know that there's always hope. We don't live just for this world. Right. We live for the world to come. And we have um, saints and friends and um, helpers along the way, both here in, in, in the flesh and also traveling you know, through their purification into heaven and uh, those who have arrived there who pray for us. And I think it's amazing that out the members of the mystical body of Christ, that we all we come together unified, whether you are still in the church militant, whether you're in the church suffering or you're in the church triumphant, mm-hmm. we are all together gathered as one. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a it's a beautiful thing for us to to keep each level of you know of the fight, if you will, you know, the, except for the course of the triumphant, they have gloriously arrived with our Lord in heaven. But, but the rest of us, we have an obligation to the poor souls in purgatory, we and, do. and they in turn will then have an obligation to us when they get to heaven to pray for us. And it, yep. I mean, you can't go wrong. No, you can't. No, no. As long as you stick with God <laughs> and what He's told us to do, right. you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. <laughs> I mean, you've got friends in high places at this point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. I was telling. Um, some people over the weekend, or at least um, where I was for uh, All Saints Day down in Hot Springs and Edgemont, about this idea of being named after a saint, you know, and um, and we take that very seriously in our Catholic way of mm-hmm. life, uh, and that saint takes that very seriously. You know, they're assigned to us once right. we're named after them, and they pray for us, and they're available to us, and we don't often think about that. You know, um, I think we're, we're sort of just thinking, oh, yeah, I've got that name, but um, but that saint is actually thinking of us and praying Thank for you. us. Exactly. Yeah. My little girls, they're always like, my saints, because we, we do the litany of saints at night, you know, when we say prayers, you know, okay. Saint Blaise, pray for us, Saint Stephen, pray for us, you know, all down right. the line. And when we get to the twins and the little girls, are like, is it my saint? Is it my saint? <laughs> 
And then we always have to have the conversation, what will I be named if there's already a St. Chiara? Oh. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I'm like, well, you will be St. Chiara Ada Bell then. <laughs> I think among the church fathers, I don't remember which one or ones, but um, they talked about uh, being named after a saint for our, our, built, our pilgrimage into heaven, but that we each have a unique name, you know, that God has for us that will be revealed to us once we arrive. Oh, which is beautiful. a beautiful thing to think about. Wow, yeah. even more reason to get to heaven to hear your beautiful exactly. name, right? Yeah, so it, it's it's not the fine teaching of the church, but, but the church fathers it's have church talked fathers, about it. Yes. Yeah. So talking about getting to heaven, there's the process of canonization. And the Catholic Church, I mean, we know there are many, many unnamed saints in heaven that we have not, the church has not canonized. The, the, and that in itself is beautiful, you know, for the All Saints Day. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose of All Saints Day. Yep. But the Catholic Church has a system with which they move through to make sure that a holy man or woman is actually declared a saint. So can you explain to us briefly about that, how the canonization steps work? Sure, yeah. There's a very serious um, set of steps that that has to be followed, and the Church takes that uh, whole process very seriously because if we're going to hold somebody up officially as a holy man or holy woman and say they're among the communion of saints, we, we need to be sure that that's the case. And so that that starts by the relationship they have with their peers, you know, and the reputation they enjoy in their local area. So if people, you know, probably the most dramatic and recent example of that was when St. John Paul II died and people were chanting, you know, Santo Subito, you know, at his funeral and at the other events, you know, make him a saint now, you know. Um, so he had that sort of relationship with people and they saw holiness in him. Right. You know, so right. that's the start of the process. Not that you would have a big public outcry like that, but that there is some, you know, recognition in the local area, uh, in the local church, the diocese where that person is located, that they lived a life of holiness. And then it's up to um, the bishop of that area to, to recognize that as well and examine the life of that person and um, be able to say, yeah, I, I think this person could be a saint. And to then start the process by contacting um, the Vatican and saying, I think I have someone who might be a saint. And here are some materials, you know, um, that um, can help you understand why I think that. And if they say, okay, then you start to really gather a lot more materials. And, and that process has been followed here by my predecessor, Bishop Gruce, with Nicholas Black Elk who's now been declared a servant of God. So that's the first step along the way um, to being, you know, declared a saint. So his life was considered holy by his peers and by um, local Catholics here. Bishop Gruce examined that seriously and said, yes, I think that could be the case, and asked Rome if he could, he could initiate the process. And if Rome says yes, then that person becomes a servant of God, and then you have the obligation to have a postulator locally that gathers you know, all of the evidence possible about that person's life and writings, and that's submitted to Rome. And if they accept that, you know, um, which they have for Nicholas Black Elk, then we have to start working with the Congregation uh, of Saints. And so that's a whole process in and of itself where you have somebody there in the congregation that takes up that cause. And we have somebody in Rome that represents us and communicates, you know, more information that we can provide. Uh, Also in there, I should mention that the bishops of the United States had to agree with Bishop Cruz 
that this was a cause worth pursuing. So they did do that. Okay. So now that's the first step or the first Mm -hmm. level of the canonization Mm -hmm. process. How does one get moved up to the next level and what is it? Well, that's a recognition after a very careful sifting of all of that evidence of the person's life and writings and and, um, anything we could find out about the person. If the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Saints recommends to... um, um, to the Holy Father that this person did live a heroically virtuous life, then they're declared venerable by the Holy Father if he agrees. Okay, so the Holy Father has to play a part in that step. He, he does, yes. The recommendation comes from the Congregation for Saints, the Cause for Saints, and then he has to agree. Okay. And so every once in a while you'll notice that there's a declaration that these people are venerable. Yeah. Right. They, they lived a, a heroically virtuous life. Okay. So now you're here to tell us about, well, you mentioned Nicholas Black Elk, and he's here in the Rapid City Diocese. Yes. Um, So now that is mostly that cause, his cause is taken up by the Rapid City Diocese. Now, I know he was in other dioceses or in other areas with his teaching and his Mm -hmm. ministry. Do they contribute at all to that? You know, um, we certainly would ask them for, um, you know, their whatever documentation they have of his time. In, in their local churches, but um, but they don't have a formal role that I'm aware okay. of. It, it's it's up to the Diocese of Rapid City. Okay. Here. So now, before you became our bishop here in Rapid City, you were mm-hmm. in the Duluth Diocese. Yes. Yep. Right there in the beautiful Lake Superior. The other end of the listening area. <laughs> the other end <laughs> of the listening area. And that um, was, that area was uh, a settled back when there there was really no Catholic churches around. And Correct. <laughs> yeah. So 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 there um there's another person on his way um towards sainthood and he's reached the venerable okay. stage and his name is Venerable Bishop Frederick Baraga. And he was a missionary that came from Slovenia. I'm half Slovenian so I kind of have a, a connection. A, yeah, a connection with him. And he responded as a young devout priest in um, Slovenia to an advertisement from the Bishop of Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, who was looking for priests to come and help, you know, in the in the mission territory that he had, which stretched all the way from Cincinnati all the way up to northern Minnesota. That's a large area. That's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> so he responded to that ad in 1830. He came from the old country, and he began to learn, um, you know, the native languages. And he started in Arbor Croce, which is on Lake Michigan, and then he moved to uh, Lake Superior. Now, he was an absolutely phenomenal man. Like, if I remember right, he knew multiple languages, and yep. he, he was just a great, um, yeah. obviously led by God in so many ways. Can you tell us a little bit about his life and how amazing he was? <laughs> sure. He was a very devout young priest, and he was Slovenia was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and he lived in the time of the Napoleonic Wars, and there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of suffering there. He was from the lower mobility, nobility, and... Um, he and um, his peers had to learn languages, you know, Austrian, um, German, Slovenian. He so he he just had to, Plus to Latin. survive. Latin, right. Greek, yes. And so he had a facility with languages, and he used that well when he came 
to um, the United States, to the Great Lakes area, to become a missionary. So he learned the native languages quite quickly and was quite adept at them. So he ministered not among the Lakota people that are the the native peoples here, but the Ojibwe up Mm -hmm. on Lake Superior, the upper Great Lakes. Now he... um there was obviously no cars. There was no... No, and he was the only priest on Lake Superior in the 1830s, if you can imagine. Wow. <laughs> and he got around by, you know, uh, walking in the summertime and snowshoeing in the wintertime. So he's known as the snowshoe priest. One winter, he went 600 miles on snowshoes to visit his flock to give them the sacraments. And wow. he, he would stay. I mean, the trails were like, you know, wild game trails that the settlers and Indians also used. And he would stay in shelters if he could, but he would stay outside, you know, in the wintertime as well and just cover himself with snow, you know, to have some sort of, you know, um, warmth at night until he could get up in the morning and continue on. Yeah, that is, <laughs> Becky's over here just. I know how cold it gets up there. Yeah. 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 And he was in places right along the southern shore of Lake Superior and upper Michigan where there's lots Lots of of winter snow. Yeah, lots of snow. A lot of lake effect snows up there. Yeah. So he obviously being the only priest in that area ministering to the people, he he didn't get there very often to each of the parishes that were there, or missions at that point. Mm -hmm. It would be missions. So how did he, I mean, did he leave? Just obviously, he he baptized when he got there, and he Mm -hmm. he just did all the sacraments he could when he got there, and so they just waited, probably, right? Yes, yes, yep, they they had to wait, and he he took his, you know, uh, responsibilities very seriously. That's why he pushed in the wintertime and and learned to snowshoe and and walked to see his flock, you know. um, So, yes, but but yes, he he was the only priest on Lake Superior in the 1830s, and in his um, diary, he talks about how much he yearns to go to confession, because he can't go to confession. Oh, he can't go. There's no other right. priest to go to confession. Oh, I never so. thought about that. Yeah. How? Yeah. Wow. And he was very well accepted by the Ojibwe people because they remembered the black robes, the Jesuits. Right. right. And that was a positive living memory in their community. And he was very devoted to them, learning their language, as I said, and giving them their first written form of their language, a dictionary and a grammar, and then translating, you know, prayers into Ojibwe. So he was... Um, he really was well respected by by the native people. He stood up for them, you know, when their treaty rights were being violated and all of that, and, and tried to um, to represent them well um, as things were changing rapidly, as the settlers pushed into that area and the U.S. government, you know, sort of reneged on its agreements with the natives right. and changed them. So he was a champion for them, not just in their spiritual life, but in all around Correct. welfare of them. Correct. So now, when he, he obviously, at some point, there had to have been other priests that came. Eventually, yes. He, he would go back to Europe and talk about the mission lands and collect money and resources and try to um, get other priests to join him in the work. So how long did it take before he had an, a brother priest with him? You know, it was it was a number of years, but I think it was in the mid to late 30s that finally there was another priest. But they would come, and some of them just couldn't take the mm-hmm. challenges of that missionary life. And they would come, and then they would leave. Or right. they would go on to some other more settled place. Right, a little yeah. more civilization, a little mm-hmm. less snow covering at snow, night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of them had very hard time with the languages, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So I mean, that's a huge shift. Like I can't imagine, you know, um, the challenges that they faced. I mean, he would have, um, 
he'd have to work by by oil lamp, you know, um, and of course have, you know, wood, you know, burning in the fireplace. And uh, his in his diary, he talks about how he's trying to get these books written, you know, in the winter time, and he doesn't have enough time, so he just decided he'd sleep less. I remember <laughs> that. Right. I remember that he was hardly sleeping at all. Yeah. Yeah. No. Wow. And he would take his manuscripts off to uh, Detroit, which was the the Mm -hmm. nearest larger community. And um, eventually there was a bishop of Detroit as well, and that was divided off from Cincinnati. That became his bishop. And um, in the 18... Let's see, I wrote down some dates here. In 1853, he was named uh, and ordained the first bishop of Marquette, Michigan. So the whole Upper Peninsula of Michigan is that diocese, and he was the first bishop. And in his diary, again, he's really depressed when he's named a bishop because he realizes how much more work he's going to have to do to organize the diocese. And, and again, he was short of priests and, right. and, and resources. And I think his heart was more missionary than yes. than pastoral in the sense of being stuck in one spot and being, right. you know, like he wanted to be out there. He wanted mm-hmm. to be on those snowshoes. He wanted to be baptizing mm-hmm. and giving last rites and all of those things because yeah. that's where God had put him. Yeah, when he had to go to some of the councils in Baltimore, you know, he, he kind of, he grieved over being gone yeah. from his native people. He went, you know, um, and right. the, he stood out in the crowd. They they were like, that's the Indian bishop, you know. Um, and um, But he, he didn't like to be away from his people, you know, for very long. So where is you, so the, the next stage of his process of canonization what is required what what we're at the stage of waiting for miracles now with him since he's been declared venerable the examination of the holiness of his life is is complete and the holy father has said yes he lived a heroically virtuous life and now we wait for miracles so and then he would be a blessed right right? with the first miracle and they have to occur after uh the um the, uh, his death. death, right? Yeah. So they're proof that he's he's in heaven, right? Interceding. So uh, there was one medical possibility that was brought to Rome, and I don't think that was approved. So it's a very arduous process. I mm-hmm. mean, there is a very strict scientific examination, a medical examination of these so-called miracles, right. to make sure there's no other explanation. Right. So, so what can the faithful do? I mean, obviously, pray for the you know. Pray for the canonization, first yes. of all. Mm-hmm. But also you can have, an, as a faithful, you can have an active role in the fact that you can pray for that in person, that particular soul, that person's um, blessing upon, you know, that through them that you will receive this miracle from God. Yes. Yeah, yeah. you can intercede. You can ask that saint to intercede for a person that you know who's who's gravely ill. You know, has terminal cancer, for example, and um, if if it's clear if that person is freed of the cancer and it specifically it can be demonstrated that that there was no other reason for it, right? For it. And specifically, the saint in the making was being asked right. to provide right. this Interceded miracle, yeah. particularly that one, right? That then, so the faithful can do that. They can certainly pray for the, the cause of that um, holy man or woman that they would become a saint. 
Yeah. So now, if any of our listeners want to, where can they find more information about, say, um, if they think that there's been a miracle attributed to them, or even just to keep up on the process of the canonization between our two? Sure. For Nicholas Black Elk, you can check out the website here at the Diocese of Rapid City. And we have a committee that's working on his cause that meets regularly. So um, you can find out the names of those people and get to know them, perhaps. Um, For uh, Bishop Barga, the Diocese of Marquette. Okay. Is is shepherding his his cause for for uh, sainthood. So they have an association, the Bishop Barga Association, mm-hmm. where people um, belong. I belong. In fact, somebody just um, gave them a donation. In my memory, is this time, Dad is the new Bishop of Rapid City. Oh wow! <laughs> I just noticed that. The first, I know the Stadars. They're wonderful people. They used to be in Duluth, but I, I'm sure that was a little bit of a typo. Because <laughs> in memory of the most Bishop, most Reverend uh, Peter in Mueller. Honor, <laughs> in honor. In honor. In Thanksgiving. They're, they're going to hear this, this and go, is a ghost oh. in front of us. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then there's also prayers that for each that they can yes. find at each of those dioceses. Correct. There's an What's official it? canonization prayer for Bishop Barg. I have his holy card in my breviary. I pray it every morning. Same thing with Nicholas Blackout. Yeah, I do yeah. too for both of them. Yeah. We used to live up in the UP of Michigan, yeah. and so he is very near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. So there's a, there's it can take a long time for those miracles to come, and and there's nothing wrong if that's the case. It just if you're declared venerable, that's the hardest part. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that, and then you just will wait for the miracles, you know, over time. Over time, and you don't want to rush perfection. That's right, right. You, you know, you don't want to have to go. You know, they are in heaven, and the process of being canonized a saint does not legitimate that for them you know they are there regardless of what we know right and god is allowing process um, you know for them to become saints for our good providentially so it's about us growing in holiness as well right you know so he's going to allow whatever you know that takes for whoever is involved in the cause of that saint to grow holier right because the struggle the struggle that may come with not having the answer right away or not having the miracle right away that could be someone's Ver- that could be the thing that gets them to heaven. Correct. The, yep. the one setback that they need to overcome. Mm-hmm. So we never know. You know yeah, trust- and these things, God is always doing lots of work, you know, providentially yeah. in all of our lives if we're open to it. Right. And I think yeah. it's amazing that as a lay person, we can pray for the cause and, and be, you know, included in this process in a way that, we we weren't with St. Patrick. We weren't with, right. you know, right. some of these other, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, some of those. Well, of course, they, they didn't go through this particular process like they go through now. Right. But even the fact that you can play an important role. Yeah, and right. I think locally here, to get back to Nicholas Black Elk, you know, there's so much painful history with the yeah. Lakota people here. Um, I think he could be a real source of healing over time, this whole, you know, uh, pursuit of his cause for sainthood, understanding how he could be Lakota and genuinely Catholic at the same, same time. time. Which is, yeah. if you don't understand, that that's, doesn't make sense to a lot of people, how Correct. you could be both, both yeah. at the right. same time. There is a video, um, uh, a movie out about him, and it's on the Rapid City Diocese website. There is, yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a beautiful, a beautiful show of his life if, if somebody wants to get on and watch it. And I was able, I had the honor of meeting his great-grandson, George Looks Twice, um, about six weeks ago down on the Pine Ridge Res- Reservation. I visited him in his home. And uh, there's a picture of him as a very young boy with his Indian headdress with his great-grandfather um, uh, next to him. And um, 
I was able to go to the um, the grave of Nicholas and pray for him and ask his prayers. So. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful time. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, um, for being with us and speaking about the, the cause for sainthood for our two, I would say, local in our listening area, mm-hmm. local yeah. holy men. Yes. So, well, now we have to send it to Fargo because Eli has this job to do, and he likes to do his job, and he gets paid to do his job, and so now he's in the staying. building with Big Bird on the outside. Yeah, with yeah. Big Bird, yes. <laughs> and so, Eli, would you like to give us a preview for the next show? I would love to. Thanks, Karen. Here's what's coming up on our next Real Presence Live. That'll be Monday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, right here on the Real Presence Radio Network. That'll be hosted by Father Brandon Moravitz and Ben Frost, coming to you from Holy Spirit Church in Virginia, Minnesota. They'll start off the show with Mark Holcraft, Executive Director from Real Presence Radio, talking about how we can share the good news. Then Paul Haverkamp will talk about growing in Christian Christian fraternity outdoors. Plus, hear what's on their minds in host banter. All that and so much more is coming up on Monday's Real Presence Live, another great show just like today's 9 to 11 a.m. Central, only here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Right back to you. Yeah, host banter is going to go a lot better on Monday than it's gone today. Yeah, I'm sure. probably. A lot yeah. holier. Yeah, probably. Virginia is right next door to my hometown, Eveleth. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. They, they're kind of a nice second to Eveleth. Ooh. But, um, <laughs> no pressure, Virginia. Tell Father Brandon that uh, I send my best. You send your best. Well, I'm sure that Eli will remember and, and tell him. <laughs> tell him on Monday. Tell him I remember being on the uh, football team and we beat Virginia at their homecoming, 52 to 6. Yeah, that's, that was that was a wonderful a, time. Yeah. <laughs> ouch, ouch. And now all of the listening area knows it. Right? <laughs> I think you just called them out. <laughs> we left town really fast. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. Oh. Well, Bishop, before we go, we have just a couple of minutes before our show is over. Would you offer a prayer and a blessing sure. for our listeners, please? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you give us so many great examples of holiness reflected in the life of holy men and women. We thank you for Nicholas Black Elk here in the Diocese of Rapid City and Bishop Barga in the Upper Great Lakes for their example, their their lives of virtue and holiness. Help us to learn from them. Ask um, them to pray for us as we also ask their prayers. And inspire us to grow in holiness as we contemplate the life of the saints in heaven and we pray for the souls in purgatory during this month of all souls. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 The Lord be with you. And with with your spirit. May the blessings of Almighty God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Bishop, for being a guest with us today on Real Presence Live. And Becky, again, thank you so much for co-hosting. Well, thanks for having me. I learned a lot. You learned a lot learned about a lot. indulgences. You're just going to go out and right? you're going to get a bunch of indulgences, aren't you? Yeah, I, pretty much, because it's never been explained that simply to me before. I'm going to call you next week Bryce? and check on you. Accountability. Yes, exactly. Indulgence accountability gonna, partner here. Go pick up that handbook from the mustard seed downstairs. And... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you to our listeners on Real Presence Live. God bless you, and we will see you again on Monday. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.